You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1221 of the Lothan Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday afternoon into the evening here on April 17th, Easter Sunday. And the Atlanta Hawks go into Miami and get pummeled in game one, 115 to 91. This game was never particularly competitive for Atlanta. A bad start, a bad middle, a bad end for the Hawks. Now, by as many as 32 points in the fourth quarter of this game, they scored 26 points in the first 18 minutes. And I will give you all the context as to as, as to why I believe that might have happened. But in short, this is one of the worst offensive games of the season for Atlanta, individually, collectively, all of that stuff. Uh, on the other side, it's just one game. That's the beauty of a seven-game series. Had this happened to the Hawks in Cleveland on Friday, they'd be out of the tournament. But this is just a game one loss. The Hawks have had those before and come back to you know be competitive in series. It's obviously an uphill battle now being down a game against number one seed on the road. But that's the beauty of this one because it sort of feels the same way if you lose a two-point game versus a 24-point game at this point in time. So a lot was stacked against them in this spot. If you listen to the podcast on Friday, I talked about the fact that the schedule was pretty brutal for the Hawks going from Cleveland on a Friday night to an afternoon game on a Sunday. That all kind of played out. Even if the Hawks are not looking to use that as an excuse in this game, it certainly matters. It's part of the calculus. So we'll get into all of what transpired, but uh, broadly speaking, a pretty rough afternoon for Atlanta on the road in Miami. And we'll get into all of what transpired on the podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard to the show. I know most of the time our listenership goes down after losses. Hawks fans will always want to relive these defeats. I totally get that, but I will give you the complete picture, positives, negatives, my own, my own analysis. And we'll be here throughout the playoff run. So please subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as any other podcast platform that you might enjoy. And we'll get into the game now. So, Coming into the day, obviously, I talked about this briefly a second ago, but the Heat had six full days off after the regular season concluded on Sunday. The Hawks had to play two must-win games in three days with travel between them from Charlotte, from sorry, from Atlanta up to Cleveland, and then from Cleveland to Miami for a Sunday afternoon tip-off. Obviously, it does not excuse everything for the Hawks, but certainly a difficult run, a high-pressure run, and the team that had the better legs in this game was certainly Miami, which makes a lot of sense given they were on a lot of rest and the Hawks were not. Uh, Injury-wise, it was a mixed bag for Atlanta. Since the podcast on Friday, we got an update on Click Capella. Uh, that we'll start, we'll start there. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski reported there was no structural damage to Capella's knee. That is a positive. He then reported that the, that the Hawks were going to re- reevaluate Capella in about a week, and he would clearly miss some, some time in this series. Then there was the confirmation from Sarah Spencer at the AJC, citing a source there will not be a firm timeline on Capella's return. The Hawks just listed him as out. There has been no other uh, really update. They had the MRI on Capella, so we're all kind of guessing. I think for sure it would surprise me if he played in game two, but for now he did, he did miss game one. He's not out for the series, not out for the season. We'll see, but certainly a big loss in this game and any other game moving forward. Capella's been their anchor defensively for the entire season. He's been awesome for the last few months in particular, and that's a big loss for the Hawks. On the more positive side, John Collins actually was upgraded to questionable before this game. There was rumblings that he would play, and then he ended up playing in this spot, which is, of course, a positive on on the surface. He had not played since March 11th. He had missed 18 consecutive games, if you include the play-in 
And the crazy thing here is that this is this never happened in the regular season, but the Hawks brought him back without a single practice. He played some four on four, but no practice, no five on five for Collins. He ended up playing in the game today. Um, he had, it had a, split, a split on his right ring finger that you could see on the broadcast. Also had the foot issues as well. He talked about this after the game. We'll get, we'll get back into it later on, but he looked fine to me. He didn't look like, you know, incredible, nor did he look poor. He wasn't limping, wasn't doing any of that stuff. So that's a positive. Obviously, we'll go back to the minutes that he played in this game, probably more than they expected along the way here. But uh, generally, having Collins back is enormous and almost even more so with Capella out. I've said for a while now that Collins has been missed defensively and on the glass almost even more than offense because of Gallo's offensive potential. But Collins is just a huge guy to have back with Capella out of the lineup right now, as we saw a little bit even in this game. Um, from there, Lou Williams also out here. Five games in a row for Lou that he's missed. No updates beyond that, but uh, I will be surprised because back anytime soon. We'll see, but we're all kind of guessing on that one as well. Miami was at full strength. They actually had five guys on the injury report, but none of them actually missed the game. And with all of that said, the Hawks were six and a half point underdogs, according to our friends at the online before this game. Not a huge surprise, obviously on the road, rest disadvantage, Capella out, Collins questionable slash uncertain, and Miami, of course, having the better record on that stuff. So the Hawks should have been underdogs in this game. They were, and they, of course, did not cover or anywhere close to covering in this game. One note here at the top of the game itself is that Collins came off the bench. Uh, that was not a huge surprise to me. People seem to be sort of on board with that on Twitter, et cetera, but he had a minutes restriction of some kind. The Hawks are never great, especially in the McMillan era, of revealing that kind of stuff ahead of time or even after the, fa- after the fact. But there was some sort of limitation on Collins, which we'll get back into in a minute. And they ended up starting the same lineup that they've been starting for a while, plus Okongwu, of course, in place of Capella. The Heat started their best defensive group, probably, with Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero coming off the bench. Um, they started with Trey uh, having to guard Kyle Lowry because the thing about this is that, you know, ideally you'd be able to hide Trey on P.J. Tucker, but with Gallo also starting, Gallo cannot defend really anyone, and Tucker's his only chance, really. So they had to have Gallo on Tucker and had to have Trey on either uh, Lowry or, or Max Struess at the outset. Miami switched the entire game for the most part, and they did a good job with that, um, and that sort of, sort of flummoxed the Hawks. I'll say this broadly and probably come back to it at some point on this show. I believe this is the best defense, defensive team, at least when you take into account the circumstances, the intensity level of the playoffs, and, of course, just Miami's overall personnel that the Hawks have seen all year long. Obviously, the Hawks have played the Celtics. they played the Suns, teams that are awesome on defense. But Miami locked in and switching in particular in a playoff environment in their home building it does not get much more difficult than that for the Hawks because of the fact that Miami does not have to play drop coverage. What the Hawks absolutely kill is when you have to play drop against Trey. And with Bam Adebayo, they don't have to do that. And I think the Hawks kind of, uh, not that they were flummoxed too much. McMillan said after the game that they were not surprised by it. And that's probably true, but Hawks playing against anybody else versus uh, this Miami team switching and also dialing at home on full rest, et cetera. Tough sledding there for the Hawks offense. Um, Early, it was actually ugly for both sides. That was the one time in the game Miami was struggling to score. Both teams combined to shoot three of 17 in the opening minutes of this game. Miami didn't score very much early on. Jimmy Butler misses for three, first three free throws, which is a little bit strange for a guy who shoots almost 90% at the line. But the Hawks didn't have a field goal for like two and a half minutes. Um, lots of ugliness overall, and we'll get into all the numbers. I'm going to try not to repeat myself too much, but the Hawks just could not make shots really the entire game. The biggest headliner, other than the Hawks' bad offense in the first quarter, was the stare down slash tussle between Jimmy Butler and Trey Young. Not a huge like takeaway for me. Normal stuff, in my opinion. And two guys are not going to shy away from that at all. Jimmy is, of course, uh, certainly full of it in terms of uh, bravado and things. And Trey is not going to back down from anybody. So not a huge you know kerfuffle in my mind. But a technical foul for both sides it didn't end up mattering. But that's the one thing there about double technicals is that you get. If either one of those guys gets another one in the game, they're ejected. That did not happen. But um, other than that, nothing really to see there. People were mad at Jimmy Butler. 
it was one of those things that just happens. I'm not like, concerned about that too much, but alas, there we go. Miami had their first run of the game. It was a 9-0 push to go up by nine points. And by the way, they never trailed again after that. It was 7-7, and that was it for the Hawks in terms of ties or lead changes in this game. The Hawks didn't score for about three minutes. They were one of 11 from the floor in the op- in the opening period. Uh, not, not great there. Uh, Herter got some foul trouble. He had to come out of the game early on. Collins played uh, more than I thought. Again, actually, McMillan never said this uh, on the record, at least in public, but the TNT broadcast, I saw the video of this, reported that Collins is expected to play 10 to 15 minutes in the game. Uh, they clearly were going to blow by that, and it felt very obvious immediately because Collins played nine straight minutes when he, when he played in the first half, and there was just no way he was going to play nine minutes in the first half and then play less than that in the second. So uh, we'll get back into this in the fourth quarter. I thought Collins played probably a little bit too long, let's just say, in the second half, given the game state. But uh, whatever the TNT reporting was, I'm assuming that came from the Hawks side, but the Hawks blew right by that from Collins. He played 21 minutes in this game. Get something to keep an eye on there. Um, other than that, rotationally, it was an eight-man group for the Hawks in this game in the competitive portion. They went to TLC as the ninth guy, kind of when the game was still in doubt in the second half. They were being they were down by 20-plus, but it wasn't over. And then the garbage time unit was uh, Knox, Johnson, Gorgie Jang, and Skylar Mays, as we'll get back into later on. The Hawks were down by 10 in the quarter. Um, at one point, there were tw- uh, uh, 11 points on 23 possessions. That's not good, let's just say. Less than a half point per possession is uh, going to get you beat, let's, let's just say. Um, they got to the line a few times. They got a live ball steal by, by Trey for a layup of transition. And it probably should have been a flagrant one on Tyler Hero that wasn't called, for the record. But the crazy thing about all of this, the Hawks were only down by six points at the end of the first quarter. And they were very, very fortunate. I have that, I have that written down in bold letters on my, on my notes right now. They were extremely fortunate to be down, be down, down by six. And honestly, I thought the Hawks were going to bounce back from there and just say, all right, we took it. Now we had this awful quarter and we're still in decent shape and it never really materialized from there. But they shot three of 17 from the floor in the first quarter. Got to the line 13 times. That was huge. Turned the ball over a lot, though. Miami did not shoot well in the first quarter. That definitely evaporated later on. I thought defensively the Hawks were pretty solid, actually, in the first quarter. It it sort of deteriorated from there, but uh, we'll get into the rest of this now. Um, But before we get to the second quarter... And honestly, the second half is going to be a little bit shorter than usual because there wasn't too much to discuss because of how bad it was on all sides. But before we get to the second quarter and beyond, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Schedule-wise, it's pretty crazy for me sometimes. I started taking my athletic greens because I actually wanted to be healthier, have more energy, and wanted to see what all the fuss was about with athletic greens. And I've been on it for a while now, and AG1 is absolutely fantastic. AG1 is not a typical tasting thing that's actually pretty gross for you, but it's actually really kind of satisfying, and it's super healthy as well. I look forward to taking it each and every morning. The first thing I want to have it when I wake up in the morning, and with just one delicious soup of AG1 from Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day on the right note. And it has a special blend of ingredients that helps you support your nervous system, your immune system, your gut health, your energy, and gives you the ability to focus and recover. AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, and you're investing in your health. Honestly, it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and AG1 also supports your better sleep quality and recovery, as well as mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with the convenient male nutrition, especially as we head into the flu and cold season right now. It's just one scoop in a cup of water each and every day, one scoop in a cup of water each and every day, and that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health and make it easy. Athletic Greens is also giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, and you get five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. That's athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. One of my goals for the year in 2022 is to actually eat better. And I'm having a lot of success with that with the help of Built Bar. In some ways, it's actually a lot easier for me to do that because I actually enjoy 
eating built bars. That's a big part of the success. And really it's a huge thing, both in terms of taste and nutrition. They have protein infused puff bars that are fantastic. They have other flan favorites that I really enjoy for a long, long time now. Each and every bar has 100% real chocolate on the outside. It makes a huge difference both in taste and texture, and they really taste fantastic. On top of that taste, though, Built Bar is low-calorie and high-protein. You can easily replace your candy bars with Built Bars this year, both in taste and to improve your overall nutrition. Built.com has all the answers for you, and you won't believe what it says. Most Built Bars have only 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 70 grams of protein with a very low calorie count. And Built Bar has long-time flavors like coconut almond. And new flavors coming all the time. I've tried really all of them at this point, and they're all awesome. Best way to check out Built Bars, go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 when you get there. If you do that, 15% order, 15% off your order, I should say, at Built Bar. That's promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. All right, second quarter. Uh, Trey comes off the floor as usual. He plays the entire first quarter, usually, for the Hawks. Um, they went to DeLon Wright, Kevin Herter, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Dino Gallinari, and John Collins on the floor together. And usually, that's probably the best possible way offensively to play without Trey is that you, yes, you have Delon out there, but he's played with four guys who you would say other than Trey are their best four offensive players that they have on the roster. And Delon plays the defense and rebounds and does all the stuff that he does. In fact, he had an offensive rebound early on and then a couple of uh, deflections and a steal in his first stint. And Trey set for about five minutes to start the quarter, which is actually a little bit longer than people wanted. But in the first half, that's totally fine with me. But the problem is defensively, they couldn't get much stops. Um, one of the things about um, having Gallo out there is that uh, he had to guard Jimmy Butler at one point, which was a total disaster for a three-point play. That sort of reminder, though, that if Gallo is not playing at the same time as P.J. Tucker, he has just no one to guard in the series. And that's kind of the problem. Um, you know, Jimmy Butler plays the four a lot for Miami. When Tucker's off the floor, that's going to be tough for Gallo to really stand in front of anyone. And I will say this, Gallo was their best offensive player in this game, pretty clearly. He had it going on offense. He was the only guy that could make some shots. Um, and that's usually the case for Gallo. He's a good offensive player. But defensively, it's going to be tough for him, especially with Tucker off the floor, something to keep an eye on the rest of the series. But he had their second run of the game, an 8-0 push to go up by 15 with about eight minutes, 18 minutes to go. Sorry, 18 minutes through 18 minutes, I should say, about a quarter and a half. But the Hawks scored 26 points in 18 minutes. That is very, very gross at that point. Uh, and that was obviously not, not really an outlier for the entire game, unfortunately, for Atlanta. They just could not get the ball to go in the basket in the first quarter and a half. A couple of good jump shots from Gallo out of a timeout. But, um, you know, basically the offense bogged down in terms of both uh, approach. I didn't love the shot quality. I didn't love the uh, sort of tactics for McMillan. Lots of trying to take advantage of mismatches. But there are some in this series. You know, Hero in particular is a pretty bad defender, as is Duncan Robinson. But in my mind, I've always kind of thought Nate, leaned a little bit too much into the ISO mismatch hunting stuff always. And it was particularly the case here when, when they're switching uh, the Hawks just don't have that many guys that can do that. You know, you, you know, Trey is not, it's not his best trade either. He's obviously good at it, but he's a lot better at pick and roll than he is just as, in terms of ISO beating. And the Hawks just did not get great shots throughout this contest. They also missed a ton of them. I will say that the Hawks were going to make more shots in the future than they did in this game, but still process squads didn't love it all the way across. They were down by 21 at one point late in the first half. It wasn't this simple, but Miami was making shots and the Hawks were not. Of course, there was one possession where Trey missed a missed a three that was pretty open with a ton of time and then actually got off the rebound, um, kicked back to him, and then missed a floater. It's kind of a microcosm of, of the day that Trey misses two pretty good looks on the same possession, just kind of a rough one for him and McDonough in particular on offense. They tried to get Trey off the ball a little bit more to get him in some rhythm, but it never really materialized, honestly. They had a couple of good trips in a row when Trey got to the got into the paint and found a Congo for a dunk, but that was kind of it. And then late in the first half, adding injury to insult, we'll say, Trey got dinged up a little bit in the final minute when he got fouled. Stayed in the game, was limping a little bit. I'm not sure how bad that actually was. I think he looked okay to me after that. But Kyle Lowry with an unnecessary dive to the floor 
Uh, he's certainly a borderline dirty player in a lot of ways for Lowry. Makes, makes a lot of winning plays too, but certainly not a guy who's afraid to, to sort of mix it up. And uh, that caused the Trey tweak there. Um, missed a shot later in the uh, first half. And the Hawks were down by 19 at the end of the first half. It was not over there. In fact, I tweeted some numbers out during the game. I thought the Hawks were at least capable of making a charge in the second half because they've been good at that at times in the last couple of years. But still one of the worst offensive halves of the season. In fact, it was their worst shooting half of the entire season. One more time. This is game 85, their worst shooting half of the season. They were 11 of 38 from the floor and 2 of 18 from 3. The only guy who had any kind of efficiency and effectiveness on offense was Gallinari, who had 14 points on 11 shots. And that was basically it. And even then, Gallo was their worst defensive player in this game. So he kind of offset a little bit of that. But regardless, it was really bad. Eight assists and eight turnovers. That's just horrible for the Hawks. They usually average more than double. And it was eight versus eight in that first half. The only positive was free throws. They got to the line 19 times in the first half. And honestly, um, that was really the positive of the entire game was the first half free throw attempts on offense. Everything else was really bad defensively. Uh, I thought they were pretty good actually in the first, in the first quarter. And then they, they, they regressed a little bit from there. The heat actually didn't shoot that well on twos, but they shot 3% from three. Um, the Hawks did force eight turnovers, which is pretty good actually, but they cannot, they cannot afford the entire series just to keep this in mind. The Hawks need to win the turnover battle in this series. The Hawks are excellent at that on offense, but they did not win it in this game, at least in the competitive portion of this game. And the heat had 18 assists in the first half, which tells you that there was some good stuff going on. Obviously, they made some shots, too. We'll, get, we'll come back to that later on. But the, the Hawks did not play great defensively for much of the game other than the first, like, six minutes or so. Um, after that, it was pretty ugly at times. In the second half, we'll go quickly here. Uh, Kong got a, th- got a third foul early on that was kind of uh, a little bit scary. He ended up staying in the game, but the Heat blew it open a little bit more with an 8-3 to three push to go up by 24 points with 20 minutes to go. At that point, Young and Bogey were 1 of 18 from the floor. Yes, 1 of 18. If you missed this game, my apologies. Um, I thought the process was actually a little bit better in the third quarter. The Hawks did make some threes, but they gave up threes on the other, other end of the floor right after that. And they were done by 24, so nothing was really great anyway. And then it was this like pretty back-breaking possession that I circled like six minutes to go in the third quarter. They played some pretty good, pretty good defense, actually. Forced Miami all the way down the shot clock to like two, and they gave up a three-point play, Jimmy Butler, to go up by 27 points. And uh, if it wasn't over, it probably was at that point. There was some shot making from DeAndre Hunter, actually scored five points in a row, but uh, they went to the bench, got a little bit uglier and uglier and uglier. They were down by 28 at one point, down by 26 at the end of the third quarter. And through three quarters, they shot 33% from the floor and six of 24 from three, about an 83 offensive rating. That's obviously terrible. Uh, defensively, they uh, had some rough stuff in the middle quarters. In fact, in the second and third combined, the Heat scored 63, po- 63, po- 63 points, I should say, and shot 55% from the floor and 48% from three. So uh, it was the middle portion of the game that really got the Hawks beat in a – more direct way, let's say. So uh, we'll kind of leave it there. But basically, the end of the third quarter, it was over for the most part. I'll say this in the fourth quarter. I did not love that Collins stayed in to even start the fourth quarter. And actually, they played him even more than that. He ended up playing more than 12 minutes consecutively in the second half, which I'm not going to tell you that I'm an absolute expert on this. But when TNT has a note from presumably the Hawks side that he's going to play 10 to 15 minutes in the game, and he plays 12 and a half minutes in a row in the second half of a game that was kind of out of hand. I didn't love that. Obviously, didn't burn them. He seems to be fine, but I uh, don't just don't understand the process there. Obviously, there's an argument that maybe he needs to get some more minutes under his belt, some uh, get, get some other rust off and all that stuff. But he still has two injuries to deal with. Just didn't love that necessarily. I thought the Hawks, as usual, probably played their guys a little bit too long. To their credit, that trade never came back in. That was smart. But even then, like they brought Herder back in 
with seven minutes to go down by 29 points. It's like, all right, we could probably go to the bench at this point. Alas, I will not belabor that point anymore. The Hawks got it to 21 briefly in the fourth, but then Duncan Robinson just kept making shots for Miami. He's been a little bit up and down this year, but he made seven threes in his first 19 minutes of this game. He was the one outlier. You know, Tucker made four threes as well, but they were all pretty much open threes from the corner, which he's really good at. Robinson was kind of the guy who just kind of broke the Hawks defensively in this one where they actually played some defense that was decent. Um, Certainly, he made some tough shots and some open shots as well. But they were done by 29 with eight minutes to go, and it was basically over at that point from Duncan on his final explosion. They got the bench in with about six minutes to go. It was Gorgie Jang first. And then for the last five minutes or so, they played TLC plus Knox, Mays, uh, Gorgie Jang, and Jalen Johnson. In fact, Kevin Knox had a, a little bit of a spurt. He had 10 points in about four minutes' time uh, in the fourth quarter. It was obviously total garbage time at that point. But kudos to Kevin Knox for uh, scoring 10 points in a hurry. Uh, not much else to add there in terms of the game flow itself. So we'll get some takeaways now from this game. And overall, the offense was truly horrific in this game. And part of that was process, like I said before. Part of that was just bad shot making, probably some tired legs, even though Nate McMillan didn't love that characterization after the game. They were on pace through about three and a half quarters for their worst shooting game and their worst assist game of the entire season. With garbage time to benefit them, they ended up avoiding those, but still had a 94 offensive rating, which is very, very bad for a team that, again, by the way, number two in the league this year offensively. Kudos to the Heat. One more time, this is an awesome defense, and they were locked in, but the Hawks were still bad. Both can be true, and both were true in this game. Um, the Hawks were 49% from two. That's not good. 28% from three, obviously bad. 16 assists. Uh, the season low was 15, so they barely, got, they barely got beyond that. They have more turnovers than assists in this game. 18 turnovers, 16 assists. For the record, the Hawks usually average like 25-ish assists and only 12 turnovers per game, so really bad on both sides. Um, and also nothing on the offensive glass at all, although I guess neither the team really did in this game. Uh, but offensively, again, like we'll get into the individual stuff in a second when it comes to how bad uh, Trey was and how bad Bogey was and others in this game. But just sort of the overall stuff, shot quality, not very good. Uh, process stuff, not very good. Passing, not very good. Ball movement, not very good. Offensive rebounding is kind of non-existent. Uh, the one thing that I will say is that even if – even on this shot quality for the Hawks, they usually make more than this. That's the one consolation that I will make. I'm not going to be here saying that the Hawks, it was sort of a make or miss league kind of game because it kind of was, you know, obviously this game would have been a lot closer if Miami shot a little bit worse and the Hawks shot a little bit better. But overall, it was just kind of a, you know, ugly performance from the Hawks. Certainly some shooting stuff in there, but it was more often the process and the execution than anything else. Defensively. The Hawks had a 120 defensive rating, and really, after about the first six minutes, it was not particularly good defensively in this spot. I said this before, but Robinson and Tucker combined for 12 of 13 from three. Everybody else from Miami was six of 25. So I don't think I don't think I would, I would project Miami to have made 18 of 38 from three, which is what they made in this game. But honestly, I would have thought that on this on the quality shots that they got, I would have said they probably make 15, maybe maybe 14, 15. So yeah, if you want to shave off. 9, 10, 12 points from Miami is going to be a more, more competitive game. But I would stress that I don't, I don't think Miami shot insanely better than you would expect them to shoot. Obviously, Robinson did, but uh, that was kind of it. Um, they have 35 assists in this game. The Hawks did force 15 turnovers, which is pretty good for them, but they were rotation a lot. Miami passed the ball very well, and, of course, they had to make some shots. Um, the one bright spot defensively was the defensive glass, which without a Kong was – I'm sorry, without Capella – is usually quite bad, but kudos to Okongwu and Collins and really and Delon Wright and others for like gang rebounding in this game. The Hawks did a pretty good job on the glass. That's that's a small a small win for Atlanta. The rough part though overall is that the Heat scored about 1.19 points per possession in the half court, 
that is an elite half-court figure, and that is usually the area where Miami struggles. If you, if you heard this podcast on Friday evening, I pointed out that, look, the Heat are not very good in half-court offense. They're not terrible, but they're like middle of the pack, and that's an area where the Hawks should be able to hold their own in this uh, series. But the Heat were actually excellent in half-court settings in this game. Part of that was shot-making, but the Hawks just had some breakdowns, and they were disciplined and played very well. Miami did. So uh, overall, you know, Kind of a nightmare game for Atlanta. I don't want to put all of it on the arrest situation, and McMillan didn't love that characterization again, but I think that definitely played a part in this game. It's also a good team playing at home and playing well. The Heat just played well in this game. The Hawks played terribly. That is sort of the mixture of a bad blowout loss. So on the bright side, it's one to forget here, and game two arrives on regular rest with no more travel in between for the Hawks. That's a, that's a positive, and they can sort of reset things, but uh, this one still counts, and now the Hawks have even more of an uphill battle as they lose game one. So before we get to the player evaluations and a brief look ahead to game two and beyond, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. The playoffs are now here, of course, in the NBA with the jam-packed slate of games almost every single night. And also baseball is in full swing at this stage. So there's plenty of sports action coming on the horizon. With that in mind, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and information this year. BetOnline has all the latest odds, contests, futures, player props, exotics, and much more. And BetOnline is the best spot for all the latest developments in sports across the board. That includes podcasts and reviews for your leagues this season. Not just basketball or baseball either. BetOnline has other sports like golf, Esports, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, hockey, MMA, boxing, soccer, cricket, entertainment bets, and much more. And futures bets are still available right now, and that includes football. Football is always king in the sports world, if we're being honest with each other. And college football, NFL, future bets, Super Bowl stuff is all available at this point in time. And Bet Online is also your source for live betting and your favorite casino games as well. Head to BetOnline.net right now on your computer mobile device to learn more about all the trends and the action across the sports world today. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, the player evaluations, uh, mostly negative, we'll say. Obviously, this game did not go well for the Hawks. Um, off the bench, we'll start there first, and I'll start with the positive. Uh, I thought Collins looked pretty good. Ten points, four rebounds, and 21 minutes. He played too long, probably in a row in the second half, but had a steal. I thought he looked pretty good. He said after the game he felt better than he expected. That's good to see and hear. Also said, though, that he did not know what he'd be 100% if, if that would be anytime soon. So I would stress that you can't expect full-blown 100% A-plus John Collins for a while, but uh, kudos to him for gutting it out and playing in this game after, again, not even practicing with the team at any point recently, only four on four, hadn't played in a long time and generally did a lot of things pretty well. And, you know, with Capella out, having Collins is just huge. I know obviously they lost this game by a lot, but Collins helps them on the glass and defensively and with energy and as a role man to the rim, all those things that Capella does very well, which is basically, again, roll to the rim, defense, rim protection, rebounding, et cetera, Collins is their next best option on a lot of those things. So having him plus a Kongwu is helpful. Uh, if he can play more minutes, I'd like to see him play with the Kongwu a little bit. And this game is basically Collins was the backup center, which I understood given his limited minutes in this game, but I'll be interested to see if game two and beyond, he plays a little bit with a Kongwu and they have some more size and physicality as a result. But uh, he was probably one of, the more, one of the more positive things of the game, just him coming back, number one, but also just playing pretty well and looking like his uh, – mostly like himself. Not, not all the way, but mostly. Um, elsewhere, though, on the bench, uh, I think DeLon Wright was the other guy who I thought played pretty well, had five points, six assists to lead the team. He actually led the team in assists more than Trey, which is – that's a rarity for sure. Uh, two steals, two rebounds for DeLon. 
he was only two six from the floor in this game, but nobody was good basically. I thought Delon was getting some good defense and played well. He was minus seven, but that was better than most guys were in this spot. Uh, TLC didn't play the, all that much. Had five points, three rebounds. Was actually plus two in his match. Had, had four fouls. I thought he had a couple breakdowns of Duncan Robinson where he went under screens, which is not what you want to do against Robinson. So that, that's on him. But uh, I thought he was just generally okay. Most of that was non-consequential. They were already down by 20-plus when he came in, but of note. And then uh, Bogey just did not have it in this game. He uh, scored six points. But uh, we'll, we'll save this for Trey. But uh, it was the second lowest scoring game of the season for Bogdanovich with six points. It was his worst shooting game of the year. The only time this season that he has not made a field goal was tonight. He was 0 of 8 from the floor and 0 of 4 from 3. Got the line six times, made all six. That's a positive. But um, two assists, just did not play well at all. And uh, it's basically untenable for the Hawks to have a night when Trey doesn't play well against this kind of opponent, but then have a night when Trey doesn't have it and Bogey doesn't have it. That's basically, they, can't, they, can't, they cannot overcome that. And that we saw that in this game offensively. Two the starters. Uh, a Kongwu, just kind of a non-factor for the most part. Defensively did okay at times, but had three points on um, three shots, uh, seven rebounds, one assist, one block, minus 29, just didn't do much positive. I think that a Kongwu is capable of more than this, and I think I don't worry too much about him playing in this series, but it's a reminder, and I don't mean this to pick on Kongwu, who's actually a guy I like a lot and has a bright future, and he's already a good player now, but Capella is just a lot better than Kongwu right now. Just right now today, this is not an indictment of Kongwu's long-term future. I love him. I love that draft pick. I said as much at the time, and I still do. But uh, at the moment, Capella is not uh, in the same tier as Kongwu. He's a much better player, especially defensively and on the glass, etc. But I thought Kongwu at least competed defensively, just offensively. It's not, not the same kind of role threat necessarily that, that Capella is. He's got more touch, and he's also a better uh, guy in space defensively, but um, still a big, sort of a big loss to not have Capella out there. Um, I thought Herter was just like kind of okay. Didn't do anything huge on either end of the floor that was positive or negative. Eight, eight points, had a steal and a block, two assists, um, took eight shots, made three of them. Uh, shot the ball better than most guys did in this game, but kind of a, just kind of like a C game for Herter. Not too bad, not too good. Uh, Hunter made his shots. He was the one, he's actually the only guy on the team, Sands Collins. The only two guys who played real minutes in this game that shot more than 50% were Collins, four for six, and Hunter, six of eight. Uh, but Hunter's also a, a team worse minus 31. He had 14 points and on eight shots. That's pretty good. Um, I think defensively he was not particularly effective and then had some bad um, process moments offensively, but still I don't want to pick on him. I thought he was generally okay. Just not a whole lot of force from Hunter overall in this one. I mentioned before, I thought Gallo was their best offensive player in this game. 17 points on 15 shooting possessions, which is not, not even great, but efficient-ish. Five rebounds, give them some shot creation and was their best of the starters in terms of the plus minus for a reason. But defensively, I said it before, I'll say it one more time, he is going to have a hard time in this series. The only thing that Gallo can maybe do is scar P.J. Tucker. And even then, if you lose P.J. in a corner, he's going to make you pay. Uh, we'll see how much they can play Gallinari. Maybe if Collins can play more and play some four, they can sort of peel back Gallinari. But he played 40-plus minutes the other night. I think he's going to play a lot of minutes in this series. Just defensively, you got to know you're giving a lot back by playing him. And then Trey Young had a, had a rough one. I've been kind of effusive in my praise of Trey. I think he's been incredible this season. I think he should be an All-NBA guy without any question whatsoever. He's been that good. He was incredible in the second half of the Cavs game with 32 points. This is probably his worst offensive game of the season, certainly on the short list. It was his worst scoring game of the year um, by just by the numbers. He had uh, only uh, eight points. That is a season low. He was one of 12 from, from the field, also season low. So, again, worst shooting night and worst scoring night of the season for Trey. Six rebounds, four assists, two steals, six turnovers. Just didn't have anything positive on this game. 
even defensively, like he gave him a little bit more than he usually does. But um, by the time the game was kind of out of hand, he was getting beat up, beating him on screens and they were picking on him a little bit more. It's going to be tough for the Hawks to defend with the young Gallo minutes. It's just two guys to attack at all times. But obviously, Trey will be better than this. I have no fear about Trey as a postseason player. Anyone that makes this a referendum on Trey is just being silly. He's obviously proven that he is capable of beating up on anybody. But he was really bad in this game. And that's okay. It's just going to happen sometimes. That's also untenable. At the end of the day, if the Hawks get one of 20, again, one of 20 from from, uh, Bogdanovich and Young, they won't beat anybody. That's just kind of the name of the game. They will not beat anybody with that kind of shooting numbers. It shouldn't happen again. It probably won't happen again. But Trey was bad, and uh, we'll leave it there for now. Okay, so broadly speaking, this is a game that the Hawks will want to forget as quickly as possible. They don't have to travel. It was an early game, so they have all day Monday. They have most of the day Tuesday to rest. They play Tuesday Tuesday night in Miami, uh, extra time in between. Uh, I will say this, though. It's also a lot of urgency in game two. Now, if you lose game two, the series is not over. Um, but generally, the formula that's accepted about these uh, upset bids is to steal one on the road in the first two. And that means they only have one in a chance to do that. Can they do it on, on Tuesday? Absolutely, they can. But um, we'll see. They will not be favoring the game. There's no bet on, there's no bet online uh, points spread out just yet on Sunday night. But uh, I will tell you, the Hawks will not be favored. We'll see how Collins reacts. We'll see if we'll see if there's any work. Capella. I assume Capella will not play. It's not been officially noted. But uh, you know, keeping an eye on, on an eye on that, I think it'll be a very similar in terms of like roster availability between these two games. Um, the Hawks will play better. I'm pretty confident. We'll see if the Heat can sort of replicate their performance in this spot. But I'll say this, there's be a lot of doom and gloom about this game. Uh, I get that. And the Hawks were terrible for the most part, but there is my, my series evaluation is not too much different. Obviously the result matters and that the Hawks lost this game. So now they have to win four out of six. I guess the team that is going to be, uh, you know, this number one seed in the Eastern Conference for a reason. So that's tough sledding. But in terms of like the game by game evaluation, I don't really worry too much more than I would have before the series started about the Hawks in this game. Now they got to just um, McMillan is not always renowned for his creativity and his like flexibility in playoff series. He's going to have to be a little bit better than he was in this game. sort of, especially on offense. That was one of the fears that I referenced on Friday was that, look, if we're being candid, the Heat had the better coach in this series. And that was definitely the case in this game. We'll see if, if they have something else up his sleeve to beat the switches and kind of adjust to Miami's adjustments. But uh, a lot of time between games here, so we'll have full coverage. I will have at least one podcast, probably just one, but at least one more podcast between now and Tuesday evening. So please stay tuned for all of that. Please subscribe to this show on Apple or Spotify or Stitcher or Google Podcasts, and especially on our YouTube channel where we've had actually a lot of support recently. I'm trying to get to 1,000 subscribers. Might even have it by now, so hopefully I've already crossed that threshold, but please watch us and listen to us. Click around, support the podcast that way. Positive ratings and reviews are also very much welcome. Follow the show on Twitter at Hawks. Follow me on Twitter if you would like to at BT Roland. And uh, don't panic just yet, Hawks fans. I'll say that there's still, still a long series. The uh, the two must-win games were already won by the Hawks, so uh, now they have a little bit of pressure for sure in game two, but nothing is over just because of game one. Stay tuned, and we'll see you next time.